Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. So what kind of music should Christians listen to? That's the topic I want to talk about today, and... You know, I I don't know that, spoiler alert, I don't know that there's actually a solid answer I'm going to give you, but maybe there's some guidance and some things we can talk about that might help you. So, a couple things on this. I was actually having a conversation with a, uh, a listener um, that I see at the gym about this, and uh, the, the gym I go to is one of those kind of grungy, dirty, powerlifting gyms. But it's really cool because if no one else is using it, you can hook up your phone to the Bluetooth uh, speaker and play your music over the gym. And of course, you have to play something everyone likes, otherwise you're just going to get teased the whole time, right? And so I, I believe this night I was playing some Eminem and probably some Kanye and just some, some hip-hop music, and I was getting a pump on. And it just dawned on me, and I was talking with with my friend there, and I was like, why don't I record an episode on this? What kind of music should Christians listen to? And it's kind of a funny question, I guess, if you've grown up in church and you kind of know, like, those Christians that only listen to that one cheesy Christian radio station, and it only has those songs that are, like, pretty much rip-offs of, like, country and pop songs now, and they're just horrible to listen to. And But, but they, they think that they're that that's the only kind of music they can listen to. And, you know, a funny thing I was thinking about as I was researching this is they actually might be right. As much as I love a wide variety of music, I love hip-hop, I love EDM, I love I love rock and roll, I, you know, I, I, I love indie rock, I love all kinds of music, right? I realize I didn't list very many um, genres there, but I, I like classical, I like musicals, right? Like, there's there's so much, and and, and it kind of also makes you think, like, the, the conversation turns to this idea of Christian music versus secular music, right? And, and in some ways, we need to kind of not have that conversation because I, I don't really know what secular music means, right? Because music, in one sense, is just music. Music is, to put it in biblical terms, it's the harp, the lyre, the flute coming together in, in melodic format and, and communicating something, communicating a message. And, and the Bible has all kinds of different forms of music. But I'll start it off by saying that the person that only listens to that one Christian radio station and thinks that that's all you should listen to might might be right. And they might be right for themselves because, you know, it's we're in a complex culture, right? And part of this question touches on this idea of how much should Christians engage with that culture, which is a complex question in and of itself. I think the answer can range from very little or even not at all to very engaged, on the pulse with it, understanding what's going on. But I think that the answer to that question has to hinge on what does your personal Christian walk look like, right? And so I think that's where we need to start is how much scripture do you know? Have you even read the entire Bible? Are you ready to confront the journey of life? And so go with me on this. I just finished reading The Hobbit, and it's a fantastic book. If you've never read it, J.R.R. Tolkien is one of the best Christian writers in all of history, so you should read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. But it starts off with Bilbo Baggins not wanting to go on an adventure, right? And Gandalf challenging him to an adventure. And Tolkien so 
wonderfully puts Gandalf in this God the Father relationship, right, to to Bilbo. And, and he captures human life, right? Gandalf in real life is the word of God. Gandalf is the scripture. And it's like, do you want the adventure or do you want to just stay home and be comfortable? Because if you want to just stay home and be comfortable, ignore Gandalf, ignore scripture, right? And I'm packing a lot into this because I'm trying to cover this whole topic in 20 minutes, but kind of track with me on this because I'm getting back to the music here. If you want comfort and safety and to ignore the world, ignore scripture. If you want the adventure though, if you want to see what God's calling on your life could be, listen to scripture, all of it, a hundred percent of it. And so, okay, back onto the music then. If you just want the comfort and you don't want to see all that God could call you to do in this world, that we are in the world, not of it, the Bible says, right? Don't read your Bible and just listen to the Christian radio station. And that, that might be all you can handle and fair enough. But if you do want the adventure, if you want to branch out and see what we've created with this common grace we've been given and if you're a, a theologian or a scholar listening, I just said common grace, right? Your your bells are going off in your head and you're thinking Martin Luther right away because Martin Luther has this doctrine of common grace that God has given everyone an ability to glorify him through normal, quote unquote, secular means, right? Martin Luther has the doctrine that's, okay, well, God's the provider of all food for all the world. So how does he do it? Well, he does it through the farmer, whether the farmer believes in him or not. And that's a very simple explanation of this. If you want to look more into it, Martin Luther, common grace, look it up. But there's something similar there in music. There's something similar there in that God has gifted us this ability to craft and create melodies and metaphors and meaning and, and, this idea to emote through instrumentation and for us to recognize that emoting through instrumentation and, and to resound deeply with it. Like, like we connect so, so deeply with music. And so then the common grace doctrine says that music is just music. And perhaps there's something we can connect with in every form of music. And so with that, I came across an article from gotquestions.org. Um, asking what kind of music should Christians listen to. And the article brings up Philippians 4.8 as kind of a guiding principle. And I think the article's very right on this, actually. Philippians 4.8, Paul writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so part of this conversation of music comes down to lyrics and the content of those lyrics. As I just mentioned, I was listening to Eminem and Kanye at the gym, and I often listen to heavy metal and EDM when I'm, when I'm working out, and the content of those lyrics isn't, isn't always praiseworthy. Let's just say that. And so how do we reconcile this, right? Well, it's all in that first. It's not all, but, but part of it is that first phrase in Philippians 4 eight. whatever is true, right? And then whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. Think about the Bible, though. Think about the book of Hosea. Like, that was the first thing that came to my mind, is that's not a pretty book, <laughs> right? Like, Hosea, God says to him, you're going to go marry this prostitute named Gomer, right? And, and, and he does, and he marries Gomer, and she cheats on him. She, she not only cheats on him, she sells herself back a slave to prostitution. And God calls him to go purchase her back, right? And, and so 
the overarching principle, you see the gospel story, you see Jesus buying those sold a slave to sin back at the cross through the book of Hosea, but it's dirty and it's messy and it's kind of gross to look at when you read Hosea verse by verse, line by line, right? And so then, then there's kind of a principle there, right? Whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever's pure, well, whatever's pure isn't always pretty. And sometimes you have to go through the muck and the mire to get to the purity. There's, there's a, a, a hip-hop artist from the 90s. His name is Mob Deep. And he has a song called The Shook Ones, right? And, and it's, not, it's not a clean song by any means, but it's, it's accounting his life uh, growing up in, in, in gangs and on the streets. Um, I sound really white saying this right now, but that's okay. Just bear with me, right? Now, I'm not saying that his music is pure, but there's something true about it. And there's something that rings true about the human condition in it, right? And so, well, that brings up another aspect of music. Because another song that I really like to listen to is No Church in the Wild by Kanye West and Jay-Z, which talks about their kind of radical views of atheism. And that's a song I like to listen to because it reminds me what kind of people are in this world that Jesus Christ came to die for. And so if you're familiar with psychology at all now, what should probably come to mind is something I talked about a few weeks ago with uh, Pastor Dominic Dunn, something we kind of just briefly mentioned about Carl Jung's idea of integrating the shadow into your life. And, and there's this idea, especially in exposure therapy and clinical psychology, clinical behavioral psychology, that there is real malevolence and evil in the world and real trauma comes from that. And the best way to deal with it is to confront it, to confront it head on. And with that, Carl Jung kind of exposits, and he, he does this from biblical principles, that, that the worst malevolence, or at least the hardest to deal with malevolence, is inside you, is inside me. And so he has this idea of integrating the shadow, right? Which is this idea of not becoming more malevolent, but recognizing and calling out the malevolence and the evil within. And sometimes that's done by proper channels of getting out, expressing aggression, proper channels of getting out and expressing these different, what we would call darker emotions. And it's actually a healthy psychological practice. So, but what's the biblical basis there, right? Well, we have in the Psalms something called imprecatory Psalms, right? And that is like Psalm 137, where the psalmist who was carried off to Babylon talks about the Babylonians and he's praying this prayer to God and he says, happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks, right? Or we have Psalm 79, pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the kingdoms that do not call on your name, for they have devoured Jacob and devastated his homeland. Or Psalm 17, rise up, Lord, confront them, bring them down with your sword and rescue me from the wicked. Or Psalm 5, declare them guilty, O God, let their intrigues be their downfall, banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. And so these are not the kind of prayers you would pray in church. They're harsher, they're more emotionally raw, but they're in the Bible. And so there's something proper being done with them here then, in that kind of like what Carl Jung talks about, there's an integration of the shadow, right? There's, there's a, a truth and honesty to emotion here that the psalmists that wrote these are expressing. 
But there's one kind of different principle there from Carl Jung, and we need to talk about it, is that the psalmists are expressing it to God, right? The imprecatory psalms are psalms sung to God, right? If, if you go back and, and look at the four I just mentioned, it is the psalmist talking to God, making these prayers to God. So what then? Do we pray secular music, quote-unquote secular music, to God? Next time I pull up a Jay-Z song, should I say <laughs> in Jesus' name at the end of it? Well, no, not necessarily. Again, all of this is going to hinge on how familiar you are with Scripture, right? Because the words, the melodies, the meanings in the songs have the power to change you. And that's something that we really shouldn't overlook. Because that's, that's powerful. That's big. Music we connect with on a deep level, we relate to on a very deep level, but we also learn from it on a deep level. We can learn about who we are, or we can learn about who other people are. We can learn about how the world works. We can learn about who God is through music. But sometimes not everything we're learning is true, and we have to keep that in mind as well. And so I, I think the, the loose principle I'm trying to draw out of this one is that it's something like if the kind of music you're listening to pulls you further from God, makes you more bitter at the world, or is turning you into a worse person, that's not the music you should be listening to. And I don't know what that music is for you. Maybe it's all of country music. I don't know. It probably does that for some people, right? Maybe it's all the hip-hop industry. Maybe it is anything that's not found on that Christian radio station. And if that's the case, then you should only listen to that Christian radio station. But if you can listen to music... And maybe it causes you to have compassion on the artist, or maybe it causes you to think about others that live in a different situation, maybe those less fortunate than you, and hearing similar stories like Mob Deep rap about growing up and, and rap about his background, and hearing that story breaks your heart for those that are still in it and wants, makes you want to serve them more, then maybe, maybe you should listen to that. If listening to very inflammatory and passionate love songs is good for your marriage, maybe you should listen to that. But on the flip side, if you're single and listening to those songs is bad for your singleness and causes you to want to go have sex before marriage or to live with your boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe you shouldn't listen to those. So in a way, what we're getting at is how Christians interact with culture. But I guess perhaps in a deeper way, maybe what we're getting at is how Christians know themselves. And that's not an easy task to do. Maybe the best thing to do is to find a trusted Christian counselor. Like, like honestly, it seems kind of silly, even me saying it, but, but what if you found a trusted Christian counselor and started talking about the music you listen to and maybe even the movies you watch or the TV shows you watch, right? Does your intake of what is true, noble, right, pure, and lovely, and admirable surpass your intake of what doesn't fit in those categories, right? Or maybe what you're watching is true. Because th there are some things that are true. And, and man, what, what is true and what isn't true is also a very deep question, right? But, but if we take something movie-wise, I'm just thinking of Schindler's List right now, right? Which is fictional based on true accounts, but at the same time, it's true. It's really true in a real way that so much else is not as true as Schindler's List is, right? That is a good movie to watch because we have to confront the malevolence and the evil of existence in order to fully understand our existence. And, and parents expose your children to this too, right? Because the, the worst thing you can do is, is have 
someone or, or to be someone who's grown up with this idea that people are overall good and that the world is overall good. And then you get to college or heck, I don't know, you just get out and turn on the news and you see that malevolence, you see that evil. And if you're not strong enough to deal with it, if you haven't exposed yourself enough to it in proper controlled manner, well, it's going to destroy you. And, and, and that word controlled I just used is perhaps maybe the important word here when discussing music, movies, these things that are true but dirty, these things that have a pure meaning but are, are not pretty to listen to or to watch. And maybe even don't glorify God, which there are songs in the Bible that don't glorify God too, that people like David listen to. Because after all, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And that was a song that was sung in that day. Didn't glorify God, just talked about the culture of the time, but it's still in the Bible. But it's this idea of control. A controlled exposure setting can make you stronger. And that's really what a gym is for those that exercise. You are controlling your workouts. You're controlling the time you spend there. You're controlling your movement. And at the end of the day, after weeks, months, years of progress, you are stronger for having gone through these controlled breakdowns of muscular tissue and rebuilding, right? Control, breakdown, control, rebuild. Control, breakdown, control, rebuild. Maybe confronting truth and what the world is really like can take some similar form or fashion in music. And we can connect with those that are victims of malevolence, like Mob Deep, or we can even connect with malevolence and confront it in a way. <laughs> and the song that comes to mind now is Rolling Stone's Sympathy for the Devil, right? You all know it. But as a Christian, you listen to Sympathy for the Devil and you're like, oh, I don't know. Like, he's pretending to be the devil. Should I be listening to this? And, and again, I don't know. How much of the Bible have you read? If you've read it all and, and you are rooted enough in Scripture, maybe you should listen to it because maybe you should understand your enemy a little bit more. And when you listen to that song and the Rolling Stones and they're, and they're accrediting the devil for all these atrocities that have happened in the world, it's like maybe that's actually a pretty dang good song and you should listen to it. Maybe you shouldn't, though. Maybe you haven't read enough of your Bible. But there is something to understanding the nature of the devil that does draw us closer to God, right? And, man, back to movies and TV, the latest seasons of Stranger Things that just came out, right? There's this uh, Vecna character who is just the devil himself. Like, he's deceitful. He's a liar. He lives in hell. And I'm like, oh, man, yes, this is fantastic. Like, to see an image of the devil <laughs> in the world is almost like something the world needs because half of the world doesn't even believe the devil exists anyway, right? Now I'm getting off on some crazy tangent and we're bringing up all kinds of things and uh, there's really just not much time left in this episode. But you understand what I'm saying, right? If you listen to Sympathy for the Devil or you watch Stranger Things 4 and your intent is to worship Satan, well, maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> just, just an idea. But in the same way, militaries send spy planes out to foreign countries, to foreign adversaries, to understand the enemy. Sometimes we can do that through artistic expression as well, whether that's music, movies, TV, whatever, because it's true. And if it's true, maybe we should think about such things. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying to get your theology from Stranger Things or from a Rolling Stones song. What I am saying, though, is to connect your theology with what's in the world, to recognize that the truth of Scripture can be found in the expressions of the world, just like you would any other subject, because we're just talking about a subject of art. 
But if you want to connect archaeology or science with scripture, you can do that. We can go, or even psychology, like I just mentioned, right? But we can go and connect archaeology with scripture. We can do archaeological digs and see that the things talked about in the Bible times were real and people wrote them down thousands and thousands of years ago. See ancient archaeology of Israel itself or Sodom and Gomorrah, which is being dug up, and that's crazy as well. But even psychologically, and we talked about this in the episode on whether or not you should live together before you're dating, there's a truth in scripture that marriage is beneficial to us as humans, right? That marriage is God's intended plan. And then you go out into the world completely separate from scripture. We call that secular, right? And you see psychologically that people who do marriage in the order God prescribed are generally happier, less anxious, and win more in life. And maybe we can find that connection in art. Maybe we can find that connection in music. That's what I'm saying. And then the the last thing that comes to mind is the truest, noblest, most right, most pure, most lovely, and most admirable thing we have in all of history, and that is that the God of the universe would come down from heaven, lay down his life for anyone that would believe in him, rise from the grave, and offer forgiveness and eternal life for anyone that would follow him. It's that cross part that if you were actually to watch, you would probably pass out, vomit, you would definitely turn away. That is the most excruciating thing you can ever imagine. You have not seen torture to the degree that Jesus went through. It was ugly. It wasn't comfortable. It would make your stomach do backflips ten times over. And yet it's true. It's noble. It's right. It's pure. You can be made pure through it. It's lovely. It's admirable. It is excellent and praiseworthy just as the person that went through it is. So yeah, I don't know. Probably didn't answer any real questions here, but um, let me know your thoughts. Am I off base here? Write in, shoot me an email. Let's talk about this. And as always, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed the show.